Welcome back to Out of the Bain, John. Yep. How you How you doing? How am I feeling or how am I doing? Both. 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 Yes. Are you ready to uh, take another page from the Christopher Cross catalog? Oh, there it is. Did I, you I wondered. See what I, <laughs> I wondered. <laughs> what I did there, yeah. did you see it? Yes. Well, we are actually. So we, this is, um, these are waters that we have charted before because we've done already three prior episodes focusing on a Christopher Cross album, but all three of them were the first Christopher Cross album. And... You know, in my opinion, that it's really the first two albums that sort of set the sound of what we know Christopher Cross to sound like. We know he did a lot of good stuff later, but the um, the style, the sonic characteristic of those first two albums kind of go together. And it, to me, it's that ultra clean, ultra smooth, um, almost soft rock area more than pure yacht rock, in my opinion, which maybe we can talk more about. But it's... To me, there's no sophomore slump here. It fits right with the, you know, perfect companion with that first album. It's actually, um, well, we'll get into maybe some of the sonic textures a little bit, yeah. but just to zoom out uh, a tiny bit, this all comes to us courtesy of Seeker Music. Yep. So we want to uh, give a shout out to Austin at Seeker Music, who hooked us up with uh, a new way to listen to this particular album in honor of the 40th anniversary of its original release. And we're talking about another page. Yeah. So it was recorded in mid to late 1982 or so. It was released in January 31st of 1983. Just to cover that a little bit, it went number 11 US, number four in the UK, number two in Germany. Uh, as similar to the first album, it's produced by Michael Omardian with Rob Muir and uh, Michael Austin. What is is coming out that is so special now though is there was a remaster done in 2019 that was strictly done at the time for the vinyl box set that Christopher Cross had put out and that was remastered by the great Bernie Grunman and if you know anything about mastering names Grunman is one of those guys up there with Bob Ludwig and Doug Sachs and Stephen Marcuse I mean one of the the, the elite elite of uh, mastering engineers Second to that, they are releasing what is called a Dolby Atmos spatial audio version of this, which is really exciting. If you've ever heard anything from the Dolby Atmos, have you ever heard anything of that? Uh, only recently because uh, I became aware of it. And so you and I wanted to experience it. So I'm going to link to something in the show notes that you turned me on to, which is a simulator and a visualizer of what music in this Dolby Atmos looks like and feels like if you're listening to it in headphones. And in particular, just make a mental note, it's the Marvin Gaye song that I listened to in that blew you away yeah. you sent it to me. Yeah. So Dolby Atmos is a emerging new-ish technology. More and more tracks are getting out there. And it requires the music to be sort of remastered, remixed, and reprepared for this particular Format And then there are decoders on the user end that can take this newly encoded material and give you this special experience. I have found it to be best uh, experienced in headphones. And it is, I guess the closest comparison is surround, but it's not really surround. It, when you listen to that preview that you talked about, you can hear the sound go from a decided like, feeling of it being sort of in front of you with some left to right content. And then you click over to the Dolby Atmos version and it does. It feels like it is surrounding your head all the way, like even behind and not the same way that surround does. It just gives you this full inside the music experience. In you made a distinction that I had to actually come to realize in that surround sound does this through channels like stereos right and left, but surround has right, left, front, back, and then even a kind of a middle, right? With yeah, the yeah. 4.1 or whatever Five, it is. Five, one, but, seven, one, nine, one, depending. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but this is sort of immersing the brain sonically without having those disparate channels, which is really cool. Yeah, the, the uh, surround requires you to pretty much be sitting in a specific location too. That, that all the music and all the data that's coming, all these different speakers are meant to arrive at a certain place at a certain time. And that gives you that experience. This is something that you can, 
like I said, enjoy through earbuds, through headphones that could not be something replicated by surround. Yep. So it's amazing to check out. Also, if you want to, you know, so go to that link if you just want to see what it's like. If you do have a hookup with spatial audio, with Dolby Atmos capabilities, this record is now released on that in honor of the 40th anniversary. So that's and the reason I bring that up is because now we've got the genius of Michael Omardian and <laughs> the sounds that were engineered. And now we're fully immersing our brains and our ears. And it's going to just be amazing. And it's out as of again, February 10th. Well, would it be wrong of me to ask you if you want to dive in? Uh, no, but I think you'd have to hit the bell to do it. There you go. How's that? All right. All right. So, um, do you want to kick us off here? Because, uh, it's a good segue from just kind of explaining what Atmos is and then getting into the sonic texture of this album as a whole. Okay. I'm going to make one uh, sort of overarching comment that leads into this first song. When I went back in, it's always different when you listen to a record with the clear intent of prepping for something like this, as opposed to just putting it on and listening. You know, this is more of a study. The first thing that jumped out at me was how much synth work there really is on this record. You know, my mind goes, when I think Christopher Cross, it goes to a sound, nice clean drums, maybe some acoustic guitars, some nice clean electric guitars. I I, I hear this sort of organic experience, piano and all that stuff. But once you start paying attention and start analyzing these songs, you realize how much synth work there is in it. And right out of the gate, No Time for Talk is just loaded with that synth work right in the intro. Which sets the tone, to your point, I think, for the record, just in general, of what's to come. I think there's always, you know, these artists are always cognizant of what's the first thing, at least back in the day, because these were to be consumed as albums. So back in the day, like, they're cognizant of what's the first experience that the listener's going to get, and I think they they uh, choose uh, certain songs to set the stage. My other thing, just real quick, as we get into this song and others, that I took away from the overarching listen is the drum sounds, which you alluded to. So... The first album was all Tommy Taylor on Tommy Taylor's kit, which he tuned a different way. He had bigger, what did he have? He had smaller heads on every, including the kick drum. Yeah, small drums. Tuned, tuned low. Right. So you'd have this like really interesting percussive timber to it, but not high sounding, not high pitched. Right. It even, didn't he say when Picaro helped him on um, uh, sailing? Right. He wanted to play Tommy Taylor's kit. So- Back to this album. Now we have three drummers. We have Tommy Taylor. Yeah. We have Steve Gadd. We have Jeff Picaro. The drum sounds, you tell me, you're the expert, sound remarkably consistent throughout the entire record. And that's, I think, an homage to Michael, maybe. And even, uh, yeah, it connects to the first record, too. I, I couldn't tell you by the sound of the drums when there was one drummer over another. It was so consistently mixed and well done. This song, though, even though it starts out synthy, before long you get this percussion, yeah. which is right, which is a hallmark from the first album right. and of the sound and of Michael O'Marion and the way he mixes and produces. But I want to hear this on that Atmos because it's everywhere and it does it ties back sonically as a thread to the first album. Well, I read it in town in the melancholy news. The front page story is I love it is true. As do Michael McDonald on backup vocals yep. and a super yachty sax solo by Tom Scott. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, one takeaway, even though he's not credited on the album, after that sax solo that we listened to there from Tom Scott, there's this post sort of breakdown section with this synth build that reminds me of Steve Picaro. So I'm assuming that's uh, probably Rob or it could be Michael. I was always wondering how did they divide up because they're both credited on keys. I'm, I 
am of the feeling that Michael was the primary piano player and Rob was the primary synth player, but I don't know that to be true. Well, if you recall, when we had Tommy Taylor on to talk about the first record, he said that Michael came in and did a lot of, I think you're right, the, the organic piano playing, whereas then Rob was relegated, was the word he used, to the synth and the roads. And we we're like, relegated? That's a promotion, <laughs> baby. So you're probably right. Uh, there's a quick fun fact on this song before we move on is that an instrumental version of this song, did you know, appeared in the movie American Anthem, which was composed by the songs by Michael Amartian. So oh. there was a, a companion piece to this in American Anthem. So I thought that was cool. Excellent. Well, I'm going to segue us into track two, which okay. is Baby Says No. And again, listen to the intro and you get more synthiness. Sure do, and uh, it's worth noting that on backup vocals on this song is Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys, and when I listen to that beginning, the way that the the piano or the keys are doing sort of that quarter note pulse, that's very much a Brian Wilson sort of technique. So it's kind of interesting that you know Carl is there, and they're sort of doing a little Brian Wilson-esque sounding tune. Yes, and this is at six minutes. Uh, the long run out at the end, which we'll get to in a little yeah. bit, but I wanted to set it up because this is to me another hallmark of this record as opposed to the first one. So just a spoiler alert, my takeaway on this whole record is that it works beautifully as a record, but and it didn't perf- do as well. Um, I don't think commercially as the first record, but this has a lot of beautifully written compositions that just maybe weren't radio friendly. And I'm going to come back to this point even in the lightning round. But as you're listening to this record, try to get your mindset out of uh, how come they're not playing this on Sirius and how come they're not playing this on... I don't think there's as many quote-unquote hits on this record, but man, there's some beautiful songwriting on this. This is a perfect example. Yeah, and that playoff that you're talking about just allows uh, some of that space for you to sort of just absorb the vibe of the song. Uh, We know that as listeners, no matter how educated of a listener you might be, your mind is always going to be attracted to the lead vocal and the lyric. So when that stuff steps aside, it's great to be able to just hear the feel of what the instrumentalists are doing. You know, nobody's soloing. It's just nice groove and uh, little piano flourishes here and there. And uh, I just, I I enjoy that. It goes on for almost over two minutes at the end. Yeah, it does. And it's just, again, it's the texture. Uh, I have a note somewhere in here, and I I remember it, but I don't see it, is that this album to me is like a symphony, more so like just metaphorically. Mm -hmm. And at times there is symphony in it, but just the rich textures is just, it's so beautiful. Um, One last thing on that that song that going back to the Carl Wilson inclusion, his Carl's delivery and vocal say range and timbre is so similar to Chris's. It's kind of funny that uh, I, I don't know how it came about that he got Carl involved. But if I were to find a, another voice that was pretty similar to Chris, <laughs> Carl Wilson might be my pick. Yes. Well, if you recall the first time we did a deep dive on the Christopher Cross album, uh, we got so much wrong or had so many questions that Tommy Taylor came on and uh, asked if he could, you know, kind of answer the questions and correct the wrongs. Well, so Christopher Cross, this is your invitation to come back on. We we tried to get you on and uh, there was a chance that you were, but uh, just the invitation remains open. We can always do this again or pick another album. So let's move on to track three. Oh, uh, yeah. One of my faves. Yeah. The instrumentation takes a little bit of a turn because now we're going to hear some acoustic piano. And this is called What Am I Supposed to Believe? It's a duet with Carla Bonoff. What am I supposed to believe? Is it that you really love me? Yes. Carla, one of the great uh, songwriters of the era. I mean, she's primarily known as a songwriter And even within that, her biggest hits and probably her largest part of her catalog was writing for Linda Ronstadt. So you know how much uh, I'm into Linda. And um, it's kind of funny that when I listen to it and Carla takes her verse, she sounds like she could be Linda Ronstadt, I swear. thought the same thing i thought the same thing and then as you're listening to this it's another 
very beautiful song, but to me stops just short of being an obvious radio hit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. But takes nothing away from the songwriting. Instead, I think it's a compliment because I think the pop radio format is far less sophisticated of an ear or a palate than the people who listen to like right. pure beautiful compositions. So yeah, it always um, was. You know, even we we can play old men yelling at the club, but that's always been the case. I mean, even well before our era, you know, the radio yeah. stuff was not necessarily the deepest, most sophisticated right. cuts. Um, and then we got Ernie Watts on sax on this song. Did you know that? Would you have guessed that was him? Because that does not sound at all like Ernie. Um, first of all, he's on alto, and now he's delivering something decidedly mellower than what he typically does. Yeah, no, I was surprised because if you're going to go get an Ernie, then you would think you would want the Ernie Watts signature sound. That's not it, but it's still good. Yeah, really good. So uh, let's move on to track number four. Now, this is one of the tracks that I don't know if this was a uh, sort of a carryover from the first album that had started then or what the case was. But maybe you can remember um, when we talked to Tommy Taylor. I know that he played drums on this one. This is one of the two tracks that Tommy played on and Andy Salmon on bass, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I can't remember, but I went back and listened to our own podcast to find out. <laughs> Got to get those uh, Got to get those listener numbers up, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, go back to season, I think it was last season, and we did a two-parter on this, and Tommy Taylor was replete with factoids. This song was actually, at the time, their, their their manager, the Christopher Cross band manager, was asking the folks at Christopher Cross to manage and develop this other band called Texas. And the label who was developing Texas didn't feel like that they had the radio stuff. So they asked Christopher and the guys to come in and write a tune. And this was a tune that they wrote for them. Oh. It had them record, deal them again. And then they ended up going out and playing it in their live show. And eventually, there was a, a need for um, a, they had recorded this. I can't remember if it was during the session or it was between the two records that they had already recorded this and they decided they wanted to include it on the record. So this is the Christopher Cross band as it would have appeared on the first album. So you mentioned Tommy Taylor on drums, yep. Andy Salmon on bass, right? Uh, Rob. Rob, yep, on keys. And even a nice little tasty guitar solo from Jay Graydon. Yeah, that's a little more reserved than we uh, typically expect from Jay, I thought. And I, I keep going back and forth on this song. My first response when I hear this is like, oh, that could have been a single. Maybe should have been a single. Uh, yep. It's got the big synths again on the intro. Another big synthy tune. Um, but then you, as you live with it a little more, it feels like, I don't want to use underproduced. I think it's done more subtly. It's not, it's not produced to explode like a single. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yet you got Graydon on it and you went and brought in Don Henley and J.D. Souther on backup. So it's not like they spared expense on this song. So I kind of go back and forth as to wondering why this one was never really pushed out as a single. So that to me, there's like so much reminiscent of that first session from what, how many years prior was the, I, I just wonder now that I'm thinking back, was this song actually tracked yeah. during that session? That's it what I wondered. Right. Yep. And I, uh, you know, when I went into it, I kept, I, I read the credits ahead of time. And of course I saw the Henley and Souther inclusion or Souther, I guess is how it's supposed to be said. And I wanted to find out if I could, you know, pick him out. And then we get to about 2.05 and Henley in the left channel is unmistakable. So let's hear a little of that. Pick up the cards that they're to you. You can throw down the showdown when love makes a fool out of you. And he goes up, your luck runs down, it's a strange game, it's a damn shame. So there you go. You, you, there's no question that's Don Henley right there. And they do a nice build up with the vocals. He, he and Souther trading back and forth, left and right. It's cool. Again, imagine what that's going to sound like on Dolby Atmos. So you listened, by the way, quick uh, segue, um, you listened to the remastered tracks for your study of this, correct? I did, yeah. 
But was it remastered for vinyl? And if so, how different is it when you're listening to a, a digital recording of something remastered for vinyl? Yeah, that's that's a fair question um, because you, when you master something for vinyl, there's a little bit of what you might do different, particularly with how you deal with the low end um, without getting it all into the technical reasoning why that is. But I have a original early release copy of uh, this album on vinyl, and I had that that I ripped and put into my iTunes, and then I took the stuff that the Bernie Grunman masters and compared uh back to back it's night and day man it is so wow. much more present it's louder uh sometimes louder isn't necessarily better but in the hands of bernie grunman i mean he understands this era of music he he's probably the perfect guy to be doing this i know he's doing a lot of vinyl mastering these days and this uh at least on first listen sounded just absolutely 10 times better than my original vinyl record well, I picked the perfect time to bring that up because we're going to segue into a song that has very little presence and very little low end. So <laughs> apologize for the timing of that, but we got a hit on our hands, and that is track five, Think of Laura. Yeah, that peaked at number nine and uh, was his last uh, top ten single. I think he had five, and this was the last of the, of the five. And I've heard it a million times. This song still gets into my gut and into my soul every time I hear it. I just, I'm a sucker for this song. It's just gorgeous. I, uh, how do I say it? I, going again, like I said before, studying a song is so different. I couldn't get over trying to figure out what is going on in this song where every time it goes from the verse to the chorus, there's a key change. Yeah. And then it goes, and you feel that lift of a key change. And then when it goes back to the verse, you feel that lift again. But yet the song isn't necessarily, quote, getting higher. Yet every time it goes from verse to chorus to verse, it feels like you get this lift. So I had to do a little analysis and really what it comes down to is typically when you you would hear a uh, key change when you're trying to maybe do that boost at the end of a song to give it one more lift you might move up a half step you might move up a whole step but to do that like this in a song where you want to do it multiple times you can't really go back and forth once you've gone up like a half step or a whole step it's really tricky to kind of go back down but the relationship between these two keys, so the um, verses are in D major and the choruses are in B major. And they're loosely related keys. Um, D and B minor would share all the same notes. It's just a, a case of are you in key of B minor? Is B sort of your home base or is D as in D major your home base? So, But they all use the same notes. But this is D major and B major. So that relationship between B and D being what's called a minor third, it's three half steps apart. Every time you make that jump, you get this sense of that lift where you're going into a new space musically, but you're really all they're doing is going back and forth. B or D to B, D to B. The illusion is that you're climbing because of the relationship of these keys. But in reality, it's just the two keys and how they relate to each other. And I think it just works so amazing. Yeah, agreed. And there's also an additional component, which I couldn't know if I should call this a bridge or a post-chorus or whatever it is, but it starts at 145. And if you're not studying it, you might have just thought you just heard another verse, but you didn't. You heard a modulation, and then that allows the next verse to sound like a key change. So let's start at 145 and then go to the first verse, which sounds like we're modulating again up I know you and you're here in every day we live I know her well she's here I can feel her when I see Yeah, 
you know, and his um, his use of melody also services taking you where you feel like you're in a new place too. It's not just the chords too. It's so brilliantly done. It's like one of those uh, photographs where it looks like uh, he keeps walking up the stairs and up the stairs, yeah. or, is, MC <laughs> or is he walking down yeah, the stairs? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, this uh, real quick funny story in this. We'll call her Listener Missy. So at one point, Listener Missy decides uh, she needs a good cry because her son is going away to college. And so she decides to go to online to try to find something sad. And somehow she stumbles upon a montage of all the Laura scenes from when she was supposedly dead in General Hospital. And she just keeps hearing think of Laura over and over again. And she's a soppy mess. And so I decided to go watch it. And there is, there's a, like a, a, a director's cut of just the Luke and Laura story of when she's missing And the soundtrack is essentially the song, which of course we know was not written for general hospital. No, <laughs> entirely different. We've covered that before. I don't know if we need to go into that again. Cause I don't think that makes uh, Chris too happy that that's where, uh, what people find when they go on the internet, looking for think of Laura. Yeah, but uh, this is the other track that uh, was um, uh, Andy and um, Tommy Taylor. Yeah, and at this point in my notes, even though it's true for the entire record, at this point in my notes, it just kind of hit me as I was listening. I wrote that these all of these mixes are so open and dynamic sounding, not just overall like loudness of the whole mix top to bottom, but all the individual tracks have such range. You know, the piano might settle down in the mix and then it does a flourish and it comes right to the front and then it's back again. It's not a case of everything sort of being forced into your face all at one time. And it just, it feels so natural. Again, listen to it on Atmos. Yeah. You'll really get that feel. Um, homework assignment, just do yourself a favor, do your own research into what that song was written about. Cause if you want a good cry, uh, you'll get one. All right. Well, did you hear what I said? All right. All right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi everyone, Tom here from Out of the Main, reminding you that to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Christopher Cross's critically acclaimed second studio album, Another Page, Seeker Music has just released two new versions of the album on streaming, Adobe Atmos Spatial Audio version and a remastered version. So go to seeker.fm slash another page release to listen now and look for that link in the show notes. All right, we're going to flip over the record, and now we're on side two, and it kicks off with this banger. All right. Peaking at number 12. So this one's just outside the top 10, even though you look on Spotify and it has massive spin numbers. So this one has lasted in people's minds for sure. Absolutely. And what's interesting about the song, what you said at the beginning, so this opens up with synth, right? Oh, yeah. But it's also one of the hits that belongs just in your minds with the first record, right? But that synth would not have been that prominent on the first record. So there's a decidedly synthier turn that this record takes. And you almost don't even notice it when this is a single, but when it's in the context of the entire record, you do. Yes, definitely. And I wrote that down again. Another heavy synth intro, which is establishing the hook of the tune also melodically. So I like that. Uh, who is that on guitar solo on this one, huh? Uh, Mr. Steve Lukather. Uh, yeah, let's listen to a little of his solo because what I like about the phrasing is how he's playing triplets over the top of this 4-4 pattern. He kind of builds this whole solo on triplets, which is kind of a cool counter rhythm. Check it out. <laughs> He's the master. He is. I wonder if that was yep. a one take wonder, a zero take. <laughs> it's probably zero take. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Um, so very yachty. I don't know where this uh, appears on the Yachtsky skills, but we also have Michael McDonald on backup vocals mm-hmm, on this one. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's so similar to the the yacht rock feel that Christopher uh, dips a toe into. Yep. Um, last note I had is just uh, the vocal layering at the end, where you know, listen to this a million times, and you always got to sing the lead, but the sing the lead vocal goes up to the uh, yeah. harmony register, right. and it sounds really cool. So this three forty five as we're starting to fade out. Yeah, he takes the the melody up into that first spot and kind of pushes everybody upward. I like that. Yeah, very clever. Well, I'm sure everyone's very, very, very familiar with that track. So great way to open side two. Then we get another one of those that I'm calling these beautiful deep cut kind of tracks where it's just gorgeous, but you're never going to hear this on the radio. I'm so glad we're studying this record because I've been listening to these like deeper cuts over and over. Talking in my sleep. Days turn into weeks. Still she's not with me. Still my secrets have to keep a little while longer in my heart. Yeah, and this is where the, uh, I guess the album title came from. They have the lyric in the chorus, another page in love's history, another page in your diary. And I know that I'm just gonna be another page in love's history, another page in your diary. So there's where the album came from. And this one has Art Garfunkel singing with him. And, you know, if you're going to pick one voice, single voice to come along and uh, harmonize with you, Art Garfunkel has got to be in the top three or four on that list, right? I'm not talking stacked vocals, but if you're going to bring in one guy, kind of like the Simon and Garfunkel thing, Art might be the pick. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, when you say it that way, because the other note I had is I was trying to like describe in words what I'm hearing in this record overall, like with the deeper cuts, which kind of like... It, it, it reminds me of Stephen Bishop's deeper cuts. Yeah. And Stephen co-wrote and collaborated with Art Garfunkel quite a bit. So mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, let's go to track eight here. This was another that has Henley and Souther on backups, and they have a particularly strong presence when we reach the end of this one. But this is uh, track eight on the record called Nature of the Game. Nothing but a broken heart to show. That would have made a good album title, too, actually. Yeah, it would have. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have uh, notes on who's playing the piano in this one? Because it's absolutely awesome, but I can't figure out who it is. You know, I can't find any song by song uh, credits anywhere. I have the record and. The way that the record is, is it gives a list of all the musicians and then it credits the soloists on each song, but it does not say any of the other parts. I got to go with that. That's Michael. It's got to be right. Yeah, I would be my guess. But again, I wish I knew. All right. Well, as I was listening to this song, by the way, it dawned on me another correlation. I mentioned Steve Bishop a minute ago, but yeah, um, I'm going to bring this up in the lightning round, but it's like. There's a modern artist that kind of I like that was in this vein, and we'll come back to it, but it's John Andrazik of Five for Fighting. Yep, yep. To be continued. Yes. Uh, so if you know Five for Fighting, you probably know the hits, Superman in 100 Years, but uh, yep. stick a pin in that. Okay. Track nine is called Long World, and now the keys are, I don't know, some kind of electric piano or synth yep. player or DX. What do we got here? I just can't tell you why. If I did, well, it might be lies. Long world living in. Got to have it from beginning to end. It's a long world. I'm not exactly sure. I definitely hear Rhodes. I definitely hear piano. I feel like I'm hearing maybe a fingered uh, acoustic, maybe nylon. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I tried to get. I could, my ear just couldn't quite pick it out. There's times where I thought I was hearing a little bit, a little bit of fretless bass, but then I said, "No, that's not it either." It's, um, you know, I know that Chris and it, I, one of the questions I had set aside if we were able to get him on is that I know he, when he would write on acoustic guitar, he used a lot of alternate sort of tunings. Hmm. Um, Tommy Taylor called it a modal tuning, and that could maybe 
maybe amount to why it sounds a little bit different. Uh, it could be acoustic guitar being fingered, but it's just register-wise, it's a little bit different. But the, the layering, which is something that I think of when I think of Michael O'Mardian, and the, just the layering, it's more about the sum than it is what the individual parts are. Yep, and not to sound like a brokered record, uh, this, this is, uh, eh, maybe that's a pun. But um, <laughs> again, Michael O'Marty, and you take his brilliant layering, and now you add this sort of spatial surround. That's not surround, sorry, spatial uh, audio. It's just going to be just pure magic. Yeah, and there's that uh, string arrangement in there, too, that's pretty downplayed in the original mix. Um, I would like to, I'd be curious to see if in the uh, Atmos version of that, if that orchestra plays a little more space around your head. And so you, everything needs to be remixed to, um, t- to achieve this Atmos Dolby sound experience. I, th- I think you could probably do a certain amount. I don't know. Let me put it that way. I, you know, there was days back when they used to make fake stereo out of mono records with sort of reverb and delay tricks. Maybe there's some way that you can enhance uh, a final mix to make it a little more Dolby Atmos. But I think to get the full effect, you need to go back and mix, is my understanding. That Marvin Gaye thing that you sent me, you can feel things moving from the right to the left. And I don't know if that was originally mixed stereo stereophonically that way. So right, and then it ends up over at the yeah. left. But you can see it moving, and you can feel it when you're doing this uh, that visualizer and simulator. Yeah, you know the um, the voices you hear sort of doing all the chatter in the background? Do you know those are the Detroit Lions? <laughs> No. It's like Lem Barney and Charlie Sanders and a couple other uh, Detroit Lions from back in the day. Yeah. How did that song ever hit it big with all those lions in it? Nailed it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, let's go down to the closing track, um, which you may recall that I brought this up as a buried treasure in the first yeah. album because I just find the songs a buried at the end of the record. I didn't, I did not own this record, so I didn't discover it until more recently. This is called Words of Wisdom. So this is another one of those songs where I said it's a symphony, both literally because there's a symphony uh that comes in and then metaphorically yeah. i just like all these things are layering and then they're starting to get added on and then uh, i don't know what notes you have but when i get to the two minute mark there's this key change and then the guitar lead kicks in and it's like whoa man Yeah, uh, that was one of the other questions I had set aside because that's actually Chris. That's the only solo he plays on this record. And going back to the whole Ride Like the Wind and how Rick Beato featured that guitar solo as the greatest guitar solo you can't hear. And my question for Chris would have been, why not take more solos? Was it a production decision? Was he not confident in it at the time? What would the reason have been? I think my just uh, inference was that he was enamored with the st- session guys, right? So you bring in the best of the best and somewhat of uh, also you throw in a dose of humility and maybe lack of confidence. But to me, on both records, I said, maybe the best guitar solo on the entire thing comes from none other than Christopher Cross. Maybe it's not the most technical. Uh, maybe it's not the most jazz influence, but it's maybe the best rock solo. And I just love what he did there. Yeah, and this album isn't very loaded with guitar solos either. Is it just the three? The one by Jay, the one by Luke, and then this one, right? That's my that's recollection, it. yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. I have a sneaking suspicion, and maybe you know the answer to this, that this was a Jeff Beccaro track, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Do you know if it was? I don't. Listen to the drum fill at 255. It's like so simple. But so creative, and there's and it adds so much with doing so little, and that to me is a Jeff Picaro hallmark. So let's listen to it. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah there's simplicity there that in a nice big strong flam, which is kind of always a big uh, marker for yep. Jeff. So it could be. It could and be. a hi-hat pinch, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, if you're still on the fence, go to 510. Now we're approaching the fade out. There's still 41 more seconds left in the song. But Picard would always want save something for the, uh, the, the fade. This is, again, simple. It's just snare and, and kick, but it adds something that wasn't introduced at all rhythmically in the song previously. Yep. Big, uh, big flams there again. Blah, blah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my boy. At least I think it's my Yeah, boy. we think. Well, that's the record, isn't it? You got anything else? Well, we could let it uh, sunset a little bit uh, as I tee up this long fade. We're going to hear more outro guitar lead from Christopher. So let's let that uh, fade us out, and then we can get into a lightning round. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ooh, it's getting stormy. Stormy O'Mardian? Yeah. <laughs> was, could be. Um, just a quick uh, note on that, because um, if you have the CD or cassette or like the iTunes version of this record. Eight track. Yeah, yeah. Arthur's theme was later added as a bonus track to this record, but does not yeah, appear CD on cassette. this. That's right. Does not appear on this new release, the 40th anniversary. So, Right. Uh, cool. All right. Well. We uh, why don't you uh, do the honors here? All right, I have a. I want to recap a quick little conversation I had. Uh, I got a text a few weeks ago from our friend Tristan Bowden, kind of texted me out of nowhere, and he had re- listened to our uh, take on the. He'd watched the Sometimes When We Touch documentary and then heard our. Uh, our sort of our analysis of it. And of course, during that, we talked a little bit about uh, how much we loved Firefall. Remember that? Oh, yeah. So he had already, Tris had already teased online a little bit ago that he was doing uh, some tracks for the new Firefall album he was playing on. Now, um, he said he didn't know if uh, you and I remember that he played on their album back in uh, the early 80s called uh, Clouds Across the Sun. And that was him as well as George Hawkins, who he had been in the Kenny Loggins band with. And he wanted to let us know that and that he was working with Firefall again. And the additional cherry on top was that one of the songs that Tris is playing on also is going to have Lance Hoppin of Orleans on bass. That's so cool. Yeah. So, you know, that got me excited. And um, he pointed out that... um, you know, they had a modest hit on Clouds Across the Sun with a song called Staying With It. And uh, that got me excited. And I said, you know, I'm going to pull out the record and I'm going to put it on. So I put the vinyl on, kind of take a little snap of it and texted it back to uh, Trissy. Yeah, I'm listening to it now. Ha ha ha. A few minutes go by and he texts back to me. He says, I love that song, Old Wing Mouth that they did on there. And it just so happens it's the third song. So I was listening to Old Wing Mouth at the time he texted me that. Whoa. And I, he's like, that's a Jimmy Webb tune, right? And I said, yeah, the Doobies did a good version of it too. I don't know where I got that. For some reason, I thought the Doobies also did a version. I was completely wrong on that. So I was probably thinking of this Firefall version. Throw a flag. Uh, Throwing a flag. So, um, but Tris goes on and says, yeah, I think Webb's uh, version has both Kenny Loggins and George Hawkins singing backups on it, though you'd never heard it. So, of course, I had to go look it up because we're talking about personnel. So it turns out that Kenny Loggins is on that version, but it's not George Hawkins that's with him. It's Michael McDonald. I know. Here's Jimmy Webb doing the tune. He's got Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald on it, and you can hear them clearly. But check out the rest of the personnel he's got. He's got Dean Parks on guitar, Fred Tackett on guitar, bass is Lee Sklar, drums is Jeffrey Percaro, (laughs) organ and piano are David Page. So we are talking Yachty personnel, top to bottom, on a song that is not Yachty whatsoever, but it is an excellent Jimmy Webb tune. And so I'm going to hit you with a little bit of the Firefall version of Old Wing Mouth. Old Wing Mouth, with his white straw hat and his sugar cane, 
The devil will be loosed upon the earth again Material possessions are the road to hell Well, that's quite the circuitous path, uh, path we took there for your found at sea. Yeah, well, you know, when you get a text from uh, one of the, you know, haymakers of the era, you yeah. gotta use it in the show, right? Heck, heck yeah, heck yeah. All right, thank you, Tris, for all of that. Yeah. And for your research, young man. Yeah. All right, I am going to the viewer mailbag for my found at sea. Mail's in. It never gets old. No, it doesn't. Uh, this is from listener Tom, who has become something of a frequent correspondent to the show, which we love. Because for what we can tell, Tom was a radio DJ back in the 70s in, I think, Philadelphia, somewhere in Pennsylvania. So he knows his stuff. So yeah. more to come from listener Tom. But one of the first things he sent uh, as he was just discovering our podcast was, uh, hey, just wanted to let you know about a song I stumbled upon. Um, it's by an artist by the name of Glenn Fukunaga. Um, one day I heard her play this song and she says that Christopher Cross wrote the lyrics and then I start listening to it and it's him singing the lyrics and it's going to sound like a different mix for sure than what you'd expect to hear from 1983. But sonically, I think you can see that there's some ties to what we just listened to. And this is a song called Paradise Stroll. I'm taking that paradise stroll. To the place that soothes my soul I'm taking that paradise stroll When the questions have no answers There's a place that brings me Yeah, if you had just taken the drum sounds from the Another Page album and put them into this song... You would, you'd have Christopher Cross tune practically, yeah. wouldn't you? It's the drums that do it for me as well. Yeah, and he yeah. said it's a slow tune. He says it's not yachty. He doesn't think it's yachty, and I agree with that. Um, but uh, real quick, so this Glenn Fukunaga, he uh, he hails from Austin now, so that's probably the Christopher <laughs> Cross connection. There so you go. We've got Austin connection. We've got Austin hooking us up with this record. So this Austin abounds. Anyways, but he's also toured. He's a bass player, primarily multi-instrumentalist, uh, plays with Robert Plant, the Dixie Chicks, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh. So he gets around. Cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well done, listener Tom. All right. All right. Uh, I am going to go for my buried treasure. Very um, unorthodox. I'm going to break all the rules. I'm going to purposely repeat a tune. Oh. Because... Words of wisdom is just so good. We need to hear it again, and it needs to be unburied yet again. So pick a little part of it, whatever you want to play for the gang. Don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. That's what a gem. Ly- lyrically, too. We, get, we Ooh, can't yeah. overlook the lyrics in that either. Oh, it's a good point on the whole record, though. The lyrics are very well done on this whole thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. So, buried treasure for me. That I have one here that's been sitting in my list for a long time. I sent it to you just so you were kind of up to date on it. But um, it doesn't connect at all. But I just wanted to put this one out there because I think this is a really cool buried treasure. So this is a Dave Grusin song, and it's got Randy Goodrum on it. It's got Marcus Miller on it. This is from a Dave Grusin album, 1984, called Nightlines. And it's a song written by Graydon and Goodrum, so Jar, as they're also known. Uh, It is very reliant on the Lindrum, so I guess I wouldn't make the case entirely that it's Yachty. Some people may want to because all the other bits are sort of there. But uh, this is haunting me. You know where you can find that song, don't you? Yacht Jazz? Nope. 
my Halloween on the yacht playlist, baby. Oh, how can I not know that? <laughs> I therefore Jeez. do consider it yachty enough. Of course, there's some very yacht rock songs on that playlist, but uh, I, I, in all seriousness, I, I would put yeah. it yacht adjacent, if not yacht myself. Yeah, I think so too. That there are other songs that have Lindrum. Um, True, but. This one's a little more sluggish sounding than, say, the Lindrum on uh, Turn Your Love Around, but you know, right. whatever. Yep. Uh, off the map, I do have a connection here because we talked earlier about Carla Bonoff and her songwriting and her connection to Linda Ronstadt. But this is probably, I'm guessing, might be considered Carla's biggest hit as a songwriter. It's post-yacht era. It's 1990. The album was produced by Peter Asher. And if you remember, this was a huge, huge hit for Linda, along with Aaron Neville. This was a Grammy Award for the best performance by a duo or group with vocal. And this is All My Life, written by Carla Bonoff. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Very nice. That's a good tie-in, too, with the Carla Barnoff, or Bonoff. Yeah, I kind of came across that connection late and wanted to make sure I got it in there. Dang, you called an audible because you had sent me something yep. else. All right. Yeah, cool. we'll save that one. I'll stay on script here. Um, by the way, by the way, before we move on on that one, the other note I had is it kind of goes back to a question you had when we were talking about Richard Marks a while back. And you were asked the question uh, after the Yacht Rock era sort of ended, where did all those yacht guys go that were playing all those sessions? Well, here's another place where they went because the... Uh, personnel on this, we have um, Don Grolnick on piano, Andrew Gold on guitar and keys. He was a regular with her for a long, long time, core of her band. But now we got Michael Landau, we got Lee Sklar on bass, we got Robbie Buchanan on keys, and then Russ Kunkel, her regular drummer. Oh, cool. So there's some Yachty guys in there. Yes, there is. Or are. What I, I was not an English major. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned earlier, we were talking about how, for some reason, it dawned on me that there was some sort of tie that was reminding me of Five for Fighting in John and Drozik. Maybe it was planted that seed um, when we, the Yacht Rock, I'm sorry, the Soft Rock, what was it called? The documentary? Sometimes When We Touch. Yep. Sometimes When We Touch. He was featured there. But I just, I'm drawing this connection and then I'm thinking, well, they both have this vocal styling where it's like, are you, it's head voice, I think. Are you falsetto? But it's, it doesn't feel light. It still feels forward, um, but it's in the head, but yet powerful. So they both sing that style. Their deep cuts remind me of the same sort of approach where it's just beautiful. It's poetry, but it maybe isn't a hit like a hundred day or a hundred years or Superman or whatever. So right. I, I'm going to pull a tune from Five for Fighting. This is off the 2004 album, uh, which is called The Battle for Everything. Same album as 100 Years. And this is a tune that, much in the vein of a deep cut, Christopher Cross off another page. This is Maybe I. Maybe I. Maybe I. Yeah, I noticed the same thing when you sent that one to me earlier in the week, that he has that seamless ability to go from a chest voice to a head voice or falsetto. Uh, also made me think of Coldplay in that, too. Mm, you know, yeah. it's that, that same kind of delivery, yeah. Sometimes you can't even figure out which he's in. And is it head voice or is it, yeah. what, you know? Um, and they kind of look alike, those two guys, which is really yeah, weird. Yeah, even more so with Chris, I have a hard time being able to tell where he goes to head voice. His, his is even more seamless. Yeah, yeah. It's just the style. I think it's, anyways, I'm no yeah. singing coach. Yep. So anyways, I thought that was good. So if you want to learn more about Seeker Music, uh, check out their website. They re they've acquired the catalogs of a lot of artists that you know. So it's kind of a cool approach to reviving old music as well as new music. Um, and just doing things like this to promote and re-release and reimagine some of the stuff that we grew up loving. Um, if you want to learn more about us, you can go to outofthemain.com. If you just want the podcast to end, you say uh, ahoy polloi. You do. You do. 